0: stand with me. I'm going to read today's passage. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll begin at verse 7. We'll have 7 through 12 where we read, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying, he ascended what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. In the summer of 2002, I went with about 20 men to the Rio Grande River for a seven-day canoeing trip from the, from the Big Bend National Park uh, down the river. And it's surprisingly pretty. Mostly it was chocolate-covered uh, river that was slow and lazy. But about a couple of times a day, we, we came through some rapids that were so... Uh, Tough to get canoes through them, that the guides would have us pull over to the bank, get out of the canoes, and um, they instructed us to do something called lining the canoe. And this is what they did. Our three guides would have us uh, get all together out of the river, and then they would put us spaced 20 yards apart right in the middle of the river. So, okay, go back to the middle of the river. Often it was about chest high or waist high, and we were spread out about 20 yards from the from the guy in front of you the guy behind you. And so for 100 yards before the rapids, 100 yards or so during the rapids, and 100 yards after the rapids, we were all spread out down the river. And then the guys would start sending the canoes down the river one at a time, handed from man to man. There were ropes before and after, and so Uh, All the canoes were always being held by someone, and they couldn't just kind of crash down the river against some rocks or get stuck in the shallows or something like that. And that was called lining the river. And as I watched that a couple of times a day for seven days, I realized, Lord, here here is a beautiful picture of the church where every single person is needed, and the church together can do things that a few people cannot. And it was a lot of fun, and we would not want to, uh, as the... Novice canoers let the professionals have all the fun getting those canoes down the river. You know, our passage today uh, gives us that picture of the church, how everyone is needed to work together to advance the kingdom of God in the world today. And in Ephesians 4, verse 7, the very first verse, kind of a brief verse, it's just loaded with critical principles for life. When he says... But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, there's a few things in that little verse that we've got to understand. It says grace was given to each one of us. That is not the saving grace of God. It is the serving grace of God. The whole context is spiritual gifts. The word grace, though, is often used of the saving grace of God, the favor of God shown on the cross. At times it's not, like here, and it refers to the gifts of God that are spiritual gifts or serving gifts. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God's gifts. So, so God has given us spiritual gifts if we're believers, if we're Christians. We've got one or more spiritual gifts, and these are, are God-given capacities to advance the kingdom of God in some way or the other, to serve the, the church and the common good and to, 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 to advance the kingdom of God. These are spiritual gifts maybe you're just great at making quilts. That'd be a natural gift, probably. But if you just have a great knack for working with three-year-olds in the church, that's probably a spiritual gift. These are spiritual gifts. Now, there are four passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. Two of them come in chapter 4's, Ephesians 4, our passage, and 1 Peter 4. Two of them come in chapter 12's, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And in none of those Lists of spiritual gifts, do we have the same list? So we don't have a complete list. Paul doesn't sit down and writing to the Ephesians and comes to spiritual gifts and pulls out of his pocket or out of his Bible the list of spiritual gifts. There is no such list. Uh, there are probably innumerable spiritual gifts. These are the sorts of things that God uh, gives to his body to advance the kingdom of God, and probably all kinds of them. And the Bible says that God has given to each one of us these spiritual gifts. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, that involves kind of serving in the church. Maybe that's kind of a duty or an obligation, not a good thing. Well, no, God calls it a gift, not a duty, not an obligation, but a gift. It is a good thing that God's given us so we can be part of advancing the kingdom of God. A couple of years ago, on the last trip, I think it was the last trip that I led to Israel. Normally, I lead a a trip a year, skip this year, going to lead one next February. Don Berry from our church was on that trip, and Don has been a part of Wood's Edge a long time. I know Don well. There's also a young man in our church, Josh Walker, who was on the trip. And Josh has a ministry down at the jails of Harris County, and he just loves doing that. In fact, everybody at Wood's Edge that I know of who is involved with jail or prison ministry, just loves it. And I think God probably put it on my heart that Don ought to talk with Josh about working in these jails. And so I connected them. They talked some. When, they, when Don gets back, Don, who is a United Airlines pilot, captain, been there for a long time, um, started trying it. He, he got uh, some training. He went down to the Harris County Jail, and pretty soon Don Barry is going there every Friday and loving it. Couldn't be more excited about it. Far more excited about working with a dozen inmates in the Harris County Jail than he is about flying 747s. He is just so excited about it. he just come alive, and by his own testimony, he would tell me that Before that trip, he was kind of lukewarm in his faith, and now uh, he's he's wide wide awake and, and, and completely alive spiritually. And God uses spiritual gifts. Probably for Don, there is a pastoring or shepherding gift involved as he loves, teaches the Bible, shepherds these inmates that he goes to see every Friday. God has given every believer some spiritual gifts to serve in the body. Now, back to our passage, another key word in it is simply when he says, but to each one of us, every single one of us. You may not know your spiritual gifts, but you've got spiritual gifts from God. You may think that you're not worthy of of, uh, serving in the body of Christ, but who is worthy? You may think you don't know enough, but when would you ever know enough? God has given us a place to serve, and He's gifted us to do that serving. I'm sorry, every single one of us. Now, when you look at the list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, those four passages I mentioned, probably the most emphatic point that God makes is that it's every single one of us, time after time. Maybe in the four four, uh, passages, three of the passages have it maybe six or seven or eight times. And I wonder if it is not because so many believers think that, you know, that must be for other people, not me. You know, that I, things are not right. Time's not right for me. Uh, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not spiritual enough. You know, I'm not ready enough. And we tend to listen to the lie of Satan that this teaching of God is not for me but for other people. God won't let us off the hook that easily. In our verse we said, but to each one of us is given. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Down in verse 11, all these, not some of these, but all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. God sovereignly gives every single one some giftedness. Or 1 Peter 4, 10, as each has received a gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you have received a gift, as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Ephesians 4, 7, we've seen, 4, 11, and 12, and He gave the apostles, the apostles, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints, that is God's people, all of God's people, To equip the saints, not some of the saints, not the professional saints, not the saints who have been to seminary, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So who does the work of ministry? It is the saints, the believers. And then finally, at the end of our passage today, 4, 15, and 16, maybe the strongest passage of all, where we read, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God could hardly be more emphatic. Every single one. The whole body is needed if we're going to grow and be the body, be the church, be the bride of Christ that God intends us to be. No exceptions. Every one of us. In the body of Christ, there are no spectators in the stands. All of us are players in the game. Now, the American church for the last 30, 40 years has had a particularly struggle with that because there is a widespread consumer mentality in the church that I kind of come and I consume and I take in, what do you got for me? That is not the New Testament church where we are workers, we are, we are servants, we are soldiers in the battle. God has gifted us, God has called us, what is our role? It could be a big role or a small role. It could be with inside the walls of the church or outside the walls of the church. It doesn't have to be inside. It may be a public role like mine tends to be, or it could be a private role behind the scenes, but every single one is called, don't believe the lie this morning that that applies to everybody else, not me. One of the biggest... Big illustrations of the church in the New Testament is that we're like a human body. This is used emphatically. And every part of the body is needed, not just the the visible parts like the eyes and the mouth and the nose, not just the vital parts like the brain and the heart and the lungs. Every part is important. And we've just seen that every part is emphasized. Let me tell you a little story. In 1984, in the spring of 84, I was a professional distance runner living in Roseburg, Oregon, and I was training for the Olympic Trials Marathon that May, I think it was. I was working hard. I was training about 100 miles a week, running all over the hills of Roseburg. About once a week, I'd go at least 20 miles, maybe farther. A couple of other times a week, I would go to the track or go out on the roads and just hammer my body. And... uh, I was in very good condition in just about every way, heart, lungs, muscles. You know, I was a fit marathon runner, but I had one problem. My right Achilles tendon was giving me problems so that um, I had some fibers there that were apparently torn, and every time I run, it would hurt. And I was trying to stay fit enough and yet keep this Achilles tendon healthy enough. So I'd do this every run every day when I ran. I'd come back and I'd open my white running sock and I'd put several cubes of ice down that sock around my Achilles and walk around for a half hour. I would stretch it gingerly, carefully, baby that thing. I would take anti-inflammatory drugs to try to get that thing well. Everything that I tried, though, could not get it well. And at the end of the day, About three weeks before the Olympic trials marathon, despite the fact that I was in great shape in every way except one, I had to stop running, and I got a surgery because of that little unseen Achilles tendon. And you may think, well, I I don't have a big role. I'm not going to preach like Jeff does. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to lead worship like these guys do. That's all right. Every part is needed, every single one of us. If the body is going to grow and thrive and flourish, if the body is going to go without a limp, you are needed. Now, at this point, after that first very pregnant verse 7 with so much in it, uh, he has a little bit of a parenthesis. Let's look at his parenthesis. He says, Therefore it says, it, the Bible, says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He is quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. And is used in the imagery of the war and battle in the ancient world where one army attacks another and battles, and, and the winning army takes all the spoils of victory, takes them back to their country, and distributes them to the people. And there is an analogy here with God who is triumphant, and He gives gifts to men after His triumph. And now Paul, inspired by God, applies this to Christ. Christ defeated the demonic powers of hell on the cross. He ascends to the heavens, and ever since then, He has been distributing gifts to His people, to His army. We're an army, not a consumer group. We're an army. And He distributes gifts to us to use in the battle. He goes on. He says, in saying He ascended, what does it mean? Except that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. That's the incarnation. When he came from heaven to earth, he descended to the earth. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So after the resurrection, 40 days later, he ascends to the heavens, head over all things. And ever since then, he is distributing gifts to his people. Now, he picks that idea up in verse 11, distributing gifts to his people, and he gave gifts the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. God gave gifts to his people. Now here in this list, he names five of the gifts. This list is not found anywhere else. I mean, some of them are are there, but there's no given list of spiritual gifts. There's probably a place for having these spiritual gifts tests that sometimes uh, we take, I've taken, taken one before, and they can be helpful. But the problem with it is that there are a whole bunch of other gifts. We don't have a complete list. And maybe what we need to do is to ask God, try some things, take into account your passions, what you're really interested in, and, and get busy trying something. You know, it, it's hard to, to guide a parked car in the garage. Much easier to guide a moving car. And sometimes we just need to get in the battle Get in the game, get involved with ministry, and trust that God's going to lead us to the right place exactly for us. Now, he mentions five gifts here. Some think it's four, but uh, it's hard to say. It's, it's a different grammar construction with the last one. they are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and either pastors and teachers or pastor-teachers. The word for shepherds here is just the everyday Greek word for pastors. But let's understand these five gifts. Apostles in the early church, they had special authority, a very unique gift. Really, they were kind of Christ's representatives after he left. The 12 disciples were also called the 12 apostles, guys like Paul, James, the half brother of Jesus. They were authoritative leaders in the early church. Now, we don't have apostles like that today who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, but we have folks who have apostolic gifts that is, gifts that are kind of uh, in an area in the body of Christ, not just one particular congregation or ministry, but kind of a a wider-ranging area, maybe pastoring pastors or training pastors or oversight of churches, planting churches. That's one of the gifts that God's given me. Ricardo Diaz, our Hispanic pastor, uh, does this in South America, in Madrid, and here in the Woodlands area, three places. He's in uh, Spain right now, uh, pastoring pastors, apostolic calling. That's one of them. The second is prophetic gifts. Now, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were some prophets who really spoke from God, and their words were at times put in Scripture. We don't have those kind of prophets. But we have many people with prophetic gifts that involve sort of an immediacy of revelation where God puts something into our hearts for the body of Christ. I don't have that gift. Many of you do. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that the purpose of prophetic gifts is really to encourage people in the body of Christ, not to rail on people. The third gift, evangelists. Those are the people who have a special knack for leading people to Christ. I wish I had that gift. I don't. I pray for it at times. Some of you do, and we need to release you guys just to have it because you are gifted by God. You've got a great facility of leading people to Christ. Now, by the way, Several of the gifts listed in the New Testament, all of us do, but some of us have special gifting. For example, the gift of evangelism, the gift of faith, and the gift of giving. All of us do all three of those things. We all live by faith. We all are witnesses. We all uh, do giving, but some folks have a special ability and knack. and God bless you if you do. Get after it. Use it. Okay, the last two, pastors or shepherds we got a problem in our culture with that gift because we tend to call guys like me pastors, and that's not exactly what this, this term represents. Uh, a paid vocational pastor, uh, th- that, that could be a gift to pastor, but the, the term just simply means shepherd, shepherd, shepherds who shepherd a group of believers. You could be shepherding every Sunday some three-year-olds. You could be On Wednesday nights, going to our student ministry that divides into small groups, and you've got six eighth-grade boys there, and you shepherd them. You've got a pastor calling, a pastor gift. Maybe you lead a small group. We've got shepherds, pastors all over the church. Kind of ironically, I don't think that pastor is really a gift for me. I've got some other gifts, but I don't think that's one. But if you have a real shepherding heart for believers, then you've got that gift. The, fifth, the fourth one, the fifth one, is teaching, the gift of teaching. I do have that gift, but this is not just teaching adults or preaching like this. It, is, it includes teaching children, teaching students, teaching adults in all kinds of settings, uh, a teaching gift where you really have a calling and a gifting to teach the Scriptures. So here are just some of the gifts. Now these are, we could call, equipping gifts or foundational gifts even that kind of give broad leadership in the church. But what is the purpose of these gifts? Well, verse 12 makes it very clear that the purpose of these gifts is not to do all the ministry in the church, but to equip God's people to do ministry. When he says in verse 12, he gave us these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who does the work of ministry? Not the paid pastors, not the elders, not the professionals, not the seminary graduates, the saints, that is God's people. All of God's people, we do the work of ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. My role at Wood's Edge is not to do the ministry, but to encourage you to do ministry, to teach you to do ministry, to pray for you, to empower you, to uh, encourage you. All of us do the ministry. Pause with me for a second. Can you imagine a more diabolical plan to cripple the church? Than this plan. What if, in the early centuries of the church, Satan was able to convince the church that the ministry wasn't in the hands of all the people, but it was in the hands of a select few that we would call the priests, who would wear long robes, who had special knowledge and training. In fact, the people didn't even have the Bible in their own language. The Bible was used in Latin for a thousand years. So people couldn't even read the Bible. And and so people had the mentality that those who mattered in the kingdom of God were the priests. Now, that's taking an Old Testament idea and twisting it. The Old Testament did have one tribe, the Levi tribe, and they supplied the priests. But in the New Testament, Jesus dies on the cross. He is the great high priest, the only high priest who makes us right with God, who still intercedes for us, and all the rest of us together are called, in the New Testament, priests. For example, Revelation 1:5. It's a passage that I have used for uh, much of the last year for the benediction at the end of the service. This is what it says. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom priest to His God and Father. What has God made you? priests to his God and Father. That is, you don't go through any intermediary. You go right to Jesus. You help bring others to Jesus. You pray for others. You are all priests in that sense. For a thousand years, we lost that mindset. Actually, longer than a thousand years. In the 1500s, God raises up a man named Martin Luther. In fact, this year, 2017, marks the 500th anniversary. And the Reformation had a couple of principal purposes and effects. One of those was to restore the Word of God to the people of God. That is, Martin Luther translated the Bible from Latin into German, the language of the people. And that spread to England, Holland, and other places. We restored the Word of God to the people. But there was a second thing Martin Luther and others restored the work of God to the people of God. This is not something just for the priests or for the seminary graduates. This is for all the believers because we're all the priests. This is the clear teaching of God in the Bible. Now, what an evil, twisted strategy that Satan gave the church to cripple the church and to deprive God's people of meaningful ministry. And deprive them of the kind of fun that Don Berry's having. The deep heart fulfillment. And friends, 500 years, 600 years after the Reformation, the church is still buying into this idea that ministry is just for the professionals. We say no way to that. We're all priests. We're all ministries, ministers. Let me again read verse 12. The role of people like me the elders and the staff pastors of this church prophets evangelists teachers shepherds is to equip the saints for the work of ministry who does the work of ministry god's people does the work of ministry we all get in on the action we're not standing on the bank watching the three guys have all the fun we're in the river friends if you have waited 30 40 years and not gotten in the river get in the river ask god Lord, where's my place? Try something. Get moving. Find your place to serve. It doesn't have to be within the walls of Wood's Edge. It can be outside or inside. It can be big or little. It can be uh, public or private. Some of you are stay-at-home moms, and you got three or four little kids. Well, you don't have any time to do anything, hardly. And that's your primary ministry, to disciple those three or four kids. And what you might need to do is something that takes very little time, maybe something at home. By the way, your kids need to see you serving other people in the body of Christ in some way. Now, others of you, uh, you're retired or something, or your kids are grown, or they're all in school. Man, great time for you to especially. Um, Others of you, you work long hours in the marketplace especially men, but many women. Uh, I would say that outside of parenting, active parenting, kids who are at home, that would be your second ministry. If you work 50, 60 hours at ExxonMobil, spending your week there, that is your second ministry, I would say. And, and it may not be a formal way that it might be in the church. It's not what he's talking about here. But praying, loving, reaching out to people, being sensitive to the Spirit of God, that is a huge calling for you uh, and your calling in that work. But what these passages are saying is that God has equipped us all spiritually to have some role to advance the kingdom of God, big or small, inside or outside, public or private. We all are needed and gifted and called into this. Don't By the lie of Satan, the great lie about the church, this is only for the professionals. You know, we know today that when it comes to health, we need at least two things. We need to take in some nutritious food, don't we? Intake. And we need to give out some exercise. We need to sweat. Both of those are important for physical health. It is the same way with spiritual health. You need to intake the Word of God, and you need to outtake serving uh, in the body of Christ in one way or the other. If you just have the intake, if you're just consumers, you are going to sit, soak, and sour. You're not going to be healthy. You need to get involved in the exercise. Every single one of us do. So, the teaching of God's Word today, other passages, every believer Every single believer is gifted, called, equipped, and has a role to play. Here at Woods Edge, inside the walls, children, students, adults, parking, greeting, worship, sound, all kind of things. Outside the walls, threads of love, foster camp ministries. This summer, Cindy Miracle, Love, Foster's Hope, Uh, had a great banquet last night. I wasn't there. My wife was there. I had a wedding. And uh, I know there are going to be camps all summer, and there's unlimited ways to get involved. Serving, precious orphans. Uh, for the kingdom of God. Folks like our lead elder, Charlie Howell, and his wife Rhonda, they take a week's vacation every summer because they don't want to miss out on the fun and the action to love on these precious little orphans. Find your role in the kingdom of God and make a difference for Him. Don't believe the lie. This is for some other person. Um, You need it. Church... Um, More and more the last 10 years, I've felt like your father spiritually. As your father, I'm telling you, you need this. This is not something I want from you. This is something I want for you. I don't want you to live and die on my watch in my church, the church that I serve as a pastor, and miss out on the great calling that God has for you in the kingdom of God so that you miss out on knowing that you are needed, that you are valuable, that you are gifted, that you have fun, you've got part of the rewards in heaven from serving God, and you grow spiritually. Don't miss out for your sake. But beyond that, for the sake of our Savior who died on a bloody cross to serve you, that reason alone, get involved with advancing His kingdom. Now let me close with this story. And World War II, tough days. Winston Churchill, leading Britain. They're the only ones, essentially. United States wasn't in the war. Germany, massive. Other countries against them. They were holding out. They had had 300,000 men rescued from the shores of France at Dunkirk, back to to their side. They're trying to keep out the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, from destroying their city of London. Dark days. They needed to raise the production of coal to fuel the war effort. So Winston Churchill goes and talks with the labor leaders, the leaders in the coal mining industry, who could get the men to be all in to help this war effort. He he sits down with them. And he says, let me paint a picture. This is what's going to happen. After the war is won, we're going to have a great victory parade in the downtown streets of London. It's going to be great. He says, this is what it's going to be like. We're going to have row after row of the sailors coming first. The men who fought to keep the sea lanes open so that we could get the war materials and the food to, to feed our nation. First the sailors. And then after that, We're going to have the soldiers who escaped from Dunkirk and later went back to North Africa to defeat the German forces under Rommel. Then all the soldiers are going to come. And then after that, we're going to have all the pilots in the Royal Air Force who fought the Luftwaffe to clear out the skies over London. We're going to have all the pilots come. And last of all, we're going to have row after row after row of men with miners' caps Sweat-stained, dirt-streaked men who who supplied our country in the war effort with coal. And somebody from the crowd might cry out, where were you during the dark days of our struggle? And Churchill said, from 10,000 throats will come the roar. We were deep in the earth with our face to the coal. And that's where we were in the great war effort to save our country. Friends, we're in the greatest revival in human history. The stakes are even greater than World War II because we're talking about the lives and eternities of precious children, students, men, and women. Where were you in the war? It might be public or private. It might be big or little. It might be inside or outside. But you've got a place. Find your place. God has gifted you ask him. Get involved. Try something. Let us help you. Find your place in the great battle. There is a spiritual war raging throughout the universe. You're a part. You're a part. Stand with me. Lord, give us grace. May we reject the lie of Satan that this is not for us, Lord. Lord, we don't know what to do, many of us. Guide us. Guide us our next step. Lord, please mobilize this body that we would refuse to be crippled and to miss out on the great calling of God. Lord, bless these, your people, I pray with all my heart. In Christ's name, amen.